was the last Sunday in August, right? How many of August went by faster than July did, right? Did it go by faster? It seems like the months are getting back to normal and going by at the right speed. Uh, I know that it's been a very interesting year here in 2020, but we are in week five in our series, Strong, and I hope you'll be here next Sunday as we finish up the series. Uh, so far, we've talked about four groups of people in society that we are called to reach for Christ, and, and we'll uh, go back through and review those, but don't forget, uh, two weeks from today is I Love Caldwell Sunday, and right after the service this morning, uh, just down in these front sections, we have a short meeting. If you want to help with that special Sunday, there's a lot of things that you could do. You could be a special greeter just for that day and hand out some of the gifts that we have for the business leaders in our community. There's also snacks that we're going to provide and a meal uh, for the second service out in the gymnasium. And so a lot of ways that you can help. You also could help us this week uh, to go out in the community, and we have 11 different sections of the city that we would like to get these cards out to the businesses, right? So along with giving these to your hairdresser and your nail person and uh, your, you know, lawn person, uh, we want to cover all the businesses in the whole city. So there's 11 different maps, and we've broken the city into uh, kind of some bite-sized pieces. It would probably, most of the maps would probably take you maybe an hour or two just to go to all the businesses, hand them one of the cards, and invite them to our special I Love Caldwell Sunday, and we'll even give you the wording for that. But please come to the meeting right after if you can do that, and I'll put these maps down here before I forget that. Uh, also, wanted to inform you that our fall campaign is starting with I Love Caldwell Sunday, and our Fallwell camp or our Fallwell campaign, uh, our fall campaign uh, is going to go about nine weeks this year. It is called Essential, and we're going to be talking about all the things that are essential from God's Word. And how many of you believe church is essential? Uh, and uh, some of the things that we've been uh, experiencing in our nation. Uh, we're going to go back to the basics of God's Word. Now, if you would like to lead a small group uh, just for that uh, session or just for that fall campaign, nine weeks long, a small group could be you and another person. It could be you and another family. It could be two or three families gathered together. We're going to give you all the materials for it. But there's going to be a special training next Sunday uh, just for a few minutes for that after each service after the, uh, the first service and the second service, and I'll remind you, uh, but I wanted to bring that up to you this week. All right, four groups we've talked about so far. Week one, we talked about the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The nuns are those, when you have a survey that say, uh, what church do you attend or what religion do you practice, they say none of the above, okay? So we talked about them. Uh, we talked about the religious legalists, people who think that they can work their way to salvation. The religious confused was week three, uh, people who've been trained all their lives to believe different definitions to biblical words. And then we talked last week about the okay with God but hate church group. 
Okay, people say, I'm fine with God, I just don't like church, and as we talked about them. And we've said each week in the series that when it comes to telling others about Jesus, courage is more important than knowledge. Courage is more important than knowledge. We can have all sort of knowledge about Jesus in the Bible, but if we never proclaim that knowledge to anyone else, our light is hidden. And so today we're headed to Matthew chapter 13, where we're going to talk about the fifth group, normally what we might view as the easiest group to reach, because the Holy Spirit has been working on these hearts ahead of time. And Matthew chapter 13, these people are being drawn toward Jesus by the conviction of the Spirit of God. And so we're going to look at Matthew 13 and the first nine verses as we get started this morning. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus talks here about four types of soil. Now, we have a lot of farmers in our community. I think most people still understand uh, some things about the four types of soil. Uh, but back in this day, everybody understood what Jesus was talking about. Uh, by the way, in November, we're doing something we've never done it before. Uh, we're going to have a special Harvest Sunday, which we've had that before. But we are going to invite farmers from all over this county to come and be celebrated for what they have done this year. And so I want you to remember that. It's Harvest Sunday. It's coming up in the middle of November this year. Jesus is speaking to them about these four types of soil. And he said, listen, there's the, the wayside where the seed is sown, but it quickly gets caught away. Uh, there's the stony place where a person joyfully receives the Word of God initially, but it never takes root. And, and then trials and persecutions cause the plant to disintegrate. And, and then there's the thorns where the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches uh, choke the plant before it can ever become fruitful. And, and then there's the good ground, the ground we're talking about today. Uh, it's where plants actually grow to fruitfulness. Uh, how many of you out there would say that you have a green thumb? You can grow plants pretty well, right? Anybody out there? Not very many people. All right, how many of you, like, your tomatoes are, like, the best tomatoes in the neighborhood? Yeah, okay. So, Judy, she's in. She's like, I, I'll play. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, now, my wife, unfortunately, God blessed her with a black thumb. 
which means that any plant we've ever had the last 26 years has immediately been murdered. <laughs> okay, I mean, we just can't seem to keep the plants, and I'm not very good at it myself either. Uh, but plants actually growing the fruitfulness is the good ground. Now, the truth is, when we encounter another person, uh, we don't really know which soil that person is, right? Look at somebody like, okay, I get it, stony ground, right? Thorny ground, good ground. We, we don't know this, but God knows this. And it, the good news is it's God's job to prepare the soil. It's our job to plant the seed. And we just keep planting and planting and planting. And sometimes we plant a seed and it goes in the wayside and sometimes it's the stony ground or among the thorns. But, but when we plant the seed on good ground, God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one who brings it to fruitfulness. And, and so today we're talking about the seekers. That's the group that we're talking about today, the fifth group, the seekers. Uh, people from every group that have been cultivated by God to the point that they're open to truth. Maybe they're even searching for truth. And, and sometimes we don't know that they're seekers. Other times we do. Uh, you may remember that in Acts 16, uh, this jailer stumbled in to Paul and Silas and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right Now, that doesn't happen very often. We don't have very many people that come and knock on our front door and you're like, you know what, I know you go to church, what do I have to do to get to heaven, right? In fact, I doubt that that's happened to anybody here in the room. Uh, this uh, may be an indicator of good soil or somebody who's seeking, but we don't usually know the type of soil uh, that we're working with, and yet we can know some of the ways that God cultivates the ground, that God prepares hearts to seek Him, Right? So we don't necessarily know the soil, but we can know how God cultivates the soil and gets the ground ready. And, and so there are five ways that God cultivates the ground. The first way is through practical teaching, through practical teaching. So Jesus here in Matthew 13 gives all sorts of parables. If you ever read this chapter, it is the parable chapter. And it, Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed. And the disciples, they actually said to him, Jesus, uh, why are you always talking to people in parables? Uh, what's up with that? Why do you talk to people in these short stories that give a truth? And Jesus told them why. Look at verse 13. He said, therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen, see not, and Hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And so Jesus gives them these parables because their hearts are not yet ready to receive truth. If you go down to verse number 23, it says, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so Jesus used parables, practical teaching. Practical teaching is one of the ways God uses to prepare hearts. Uh, we often encourage you to invite friends. 
and loved ones to our church services for this very reason, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we're having this Evangelism Sunday in two weeks. Uh, I love Caldwell Sunday, and we want you to invite people you know from the business community. This is a targeted Evangelism Sunday. We're going to give practical teaching uh, that Sunday on how to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And uh, so this is a day where you could really invite somebody to come for that. But I don't want you to ever think uh, that evangelism has to be left up to the professionals, right? No way. We have all been called by God to be evangelists. We have all been called by God to give the gospel. And, and we all have our own style and our own personality in how we do that. And, and so practical teaching is one of these catalysts that God uses to turn hearts toward Him. Uh, the second one is private disciplines. Private disciplines. Okay, God uses a person's pursuit of Him through looking at His Word privately, through making an effort to find truth. God always rewards those who seek truth. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when you seek truth, God paves the way for you to find it. Uh, there are many, many people who have received salvation and started a relationship with God through personal study of God's Word. That's why the psalmist said, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And getting into God's Word for yourself is life-changing. It's soul-healing. That is where everything begins when you begin to hunger and thirst after God's Word for yourself. And I love it when people uh, first get into the Word of God and they're trying to figure out what it means. And, and I always encourage people, read the book of John first. That's the first one you should read. Uh, a lot of people read Genesis first. And they got the first 12 chapters, and they're going along, and then it kind of drops off, and then they get an exodus, like, what in the world is all this stuff about the law and the Ten Commandments? And then they get into Leviticus, and Leviticus is like, dun, 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 they crash, because they're reading about what do you do if you have mold in your house, and, and what do you do if you have mold on your body, and you got to go have the priest check your leprosy, and... Like, what in the world is this? So I always say to people, read the book of John first. And then after you read the book of John, read the book of John. And then after you read the book of John and the book of John, read the book of John. Right? And then read Matthew and Mark and Luke and maybe Romans and Acts. And, uh, but get in the Word of God for yourself. The third catalyst is personal ministry personal ministry. There are people, and we talked about this in week two, who genuinely believe that they can work their way into a relationship with God. And we talked about that, as I said, in week two in this series. Uh, but works don't bring us into the family of God, okay? Your neighbor, Ken, comes and knocks on your door on Saturday and says, listen, if I mow your lawn for the next six weeks, can I be in your family? Right? 
Is that the way you get into a family? That's not how it works, right? That'd be nice for some neighbor kids, right? But that's not how it works. You have to be born into the family or adopted into the family. And, and so salvation doesn't come by works. Only new birth gives us salvation. But here's the thing. If somebody is truly seeking God as they're doing these works, God sees that. God rewards the pure heart that pursues Him. And we often see Gen X millennial seekers, and and they come to church because they're seeking God, and they start serving because that's what they think they're supposed to do, and they don't really understand the biblical way to salvation, but their ministry keeps them under truth long enough for them to realize that Jesus is the only one who saves. God gave a promise to His people through Jeremiah. It's one of my favorites. It's in Jeremiah 29. It says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And so personal ministry can actually be a way that God cultivates the heart and it cultivates the ground and prepares the hearts to be used by Him. Uh, The fourth one is providential relationships. Providential relationships. Sometimes uh, you have a person who is internally dissatisfied and, and maybe doesn't even know why. There's just this sense that life has no purpose and, and there's got to be something more than just working and eating and sleeping and playing. Uh, why am I actually here on the earth? And God sends along one of His children to start a conversation or to become a companion. And maybe it's how you came to Christ. God sent along just the right person at just the right time to interact with you about truth. And I love to hear the stories of how people come to Christ. And in the stories I've heard, the last two here, providential relationships, and the next one we'll cover, are the ones I hear most often. And it's like I was yeah, starting to think about, you know, what my purpose was, and then I met this guy at work, or uh, had this neighbor move in, or had this person invite me to church, and there's a providential relationship. I, I love the story in Acts 8. Uh, there's this guy from Ethiopia, and he's trying to read a scroll in a chariot in the middle of the desert in Gaza. And the Spirit of God leads one of the early deacons named Philip And it says, hey, go help that guy. Go talk to him. And so he's coming up to the chariot. And as he comes up to the chariot, he hears this guy trying to read. And it's from the uh, the passage in Isaiah 53 about Jesus being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And he says to the, the Ethiopian man, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says this. It's so profound. He says, how can I except some man teach me. And he invites him up in the chariot, and he sits there and preaches to him Jesus in that chariot. And this providential relationship brings him to Christ. Uh, The fifth way is through pivotal circumstances. I talked earlier about the jailer stumbling in to ask Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And uh, let's actually look at this passage And let's see what the pivotal circumstances were that brought him to this point. So, Acts 16, and I'll start reading in verse number 26. Okay, Acts 16, 26. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, had seen the prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord unto all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So a major earthquake seems like a pivotal circumstance, right? Uh, A major change at work, maybe a pandemic uh, or a hurricane or a forest fire or a riot, or whatever is going on. It is often pivotal circumstances that cause people to consider life's true purpose and lead them to become seekers. Once again, we don't often see these things happening because they're happening in hearts, and we can't see hearts. But the God who loves the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for their sins is constantly doing all he can to cultivate the ground because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's evident in the New Testament that if we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, that we will have an awareness of God's preparation. And that's the second part of our message today, an awareness of God's preparation. The Spirit will lead us to see the signs that the people around us might be seekers and that God might be dealing with their hearts. Uh, Matthew 9 shows the thought process, the heart attitude of Jesus toward the people around him. It said, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus noticed that they were fainting. He noticed that that they were struggling. And and so we have to notice the people around us. And uh, there are especially two groups of people that you should notice. Uh, you should notice the people who are in transition, okay? Notice the people who are in transition. And, and when we say in transition, we are mostly talking about positive or neutral changes in a life, positive or neutral changes, okay? Like a, a new baby, uh, a new rental, uh, a new car, buying a house, changing jobs, changing seasons in life, so in transition. But also, we need to notice those who are under tension. And under tension refers to changes that are difficult or negative. 
uh, a new medical diagnosis, a divorce, the recent loss of a family member or friend, a, a house fire, a bankruptcy, facing down aggressive creditors, tensions. And, and the truth is, we all have transitions and tensions. And if you will take the time to notice the transitions and tensions around you, you will often be led by the Spirit to offer just the right word at just the right time. Uh, of course, this means that you can't be self, self-absorbed, right? Uh, how many understand that we live in a generation of people that is more self-absorbed than any generation in history, right? People are only thinking about what's in it for me, how do I look, how do I feel, what do I want? And this moves into every area of their life. But if you're going to be with us for Christ, you have to notice other people. You have to expect that God is cultivating the soil around you. He always is. Uh, Why has your coworker seemed discouraged lately? Uh, Who in your life is going through big changes? Who's experiencing pain? And it, it is the sinfulness of mankind that brings pain into our lives. But you know, God doesn't ever waste our pain. He uses it to remind us of our need for Him. And I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, that He comforts us in our pain so that we can comfort others in their pain. And God wants His children to be aware, aware of eternal souls that are next to us. But so often, we seem to be aware of other things, like we notice other things, right? Uh, the stock market, the retirement fund, the sports scores, pop culture news, uh, the magazines, the political happenings. We notice all those other things, but we really need to ask God to make us aware of people for whom Jesus died. Because if we don't have an awareness, then we will never start key conversations with seekers. That's the third part of our message today. Key conversations with seekers. Key conversations with seekers. Uh, In the information age, you could go on any search engine. You can type in a phrase like uh, conversation starters for sharing the gospel. And instantly, you literally have hundreds of great ideas at your fingertips. But you know, if you're asking the Holy Spirit to give you that awareness of people who are in transition and who are under tension, you'll often be led to talk about Christ just in a normal conversation. Uh, By the way, did you catch that word I just said, conversation? You're not going to share Christ with other people without a conversation, right? Conversation starts with hello, Right? Conversation starts with taking an interest in another person. And people might find that rare, especially during the COVID era. Uh, I took Sophie to Costco yesterday. She's our, our youngest. She's seven. And she always wants to go anywhere that she can to get out of the house and get away from uh, what's going on and, you know, just kind of be out there. And so she uh, she couldn't find her special mask because that was in mom's car. And so she had to wear one of the ones from my car. And so she already was, you know, kind of a little bothered by this because you got to wear a mask in Costco. So 
we do all the Costco stuff, and I spend most of my time trying to corral her from running over people with the cart and running herself and other people's carts and touching stuff and telling me what we need. And uh, every time I take her, we end up spending an extra $100. I don't understand why, really. But, but anyway, we get up to the checkout, and we do all the stuff. And the lady at the checkout, in her mask, starts talking to Sophie. And she asks her, uh, you guys are buying dog food. Do you have a dog? And so, if you know, we have three dogs. And she's telling her about every dog. And uh, the lady says, well, I have a yellow lab. So he says, well, I have a yellow lab. And her name's Bella. And she has a birthday that's like my birthday. And they just, they're talking and talking and talking. And the other people behind us, I can tell they're starting to get annoyed. Like, can the little girl move on? <laughs> right? Can she go out now? And she's just talking and talking and talking. And I, I want to say to the lady, you have no idea what you've just started, right? You, you have just encountered conversation with a world-class talker. And it, but they had a conversation. And, and look, if you will just start conversations and take a genuine interest in other human beings, the Spirit of God will open doors for you to share faith. Now, here's the thing. It will take courage. You're going to have to be strong. But what better thing could you possibly talk about than the good news of Jesus? And, and you know, so often the conversations uh, will be about life or about death. Like, like when you ask your friend that you've already got a relationship, what do you think happens after we die? Right? It's a huge question, right? And your friend's got an opinion on it. Or, or you say uh, to someone uh, that you've known for a while, do you have much of a spiritual background? We never talked about that. Or, or how would you describe your spiritual journey? Uh, I, I've known people who have used the apology method. They say, Larry, we've been friends for a while now, and, and I want to apologize to you for never telling you about the most important person in my life. Uh, it's Jesus. And I was going through a, a situation similar to yours, and somebody shared with me that Jesus is the only way to true joy and peace. And I accepted him into my life, and everything's changed. Uh, I still have problems. I still face difficulties and circumstances. But now I have joy and peace as I go through them. And it, so there are literally thousands of ways to initiate the conversation. But here's something you'll notice about Jesus. Anytime Jesus met another person, he always started where that person was, right? He started exactly where they were. If they're blind, they talked about being blind, right? If they're a farmer, they talk about farming. If they're a, get at a well, they talk about water. Jesus starts where they are, and then he just talked. Uh, there was no magic formula. There's no special phrasing. There was no required prayer, it was all about a person receiving truth by grace through faith. And Jesus based his conversations upon the interests of the person he was talking to. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we never find Jesus holding up a sign to reach other people for Jesus. We never did. He had a conversation with them. He personalized it. 
Because without personal conversations and genuine interest in people, you won't have any credibility to actually share your faith, right? Conversations are what help change people. Uh, But when people know you care, you can compassionately give the good news. Uh, I saw an article this week about all the political stuff going on and the, the protests and some people call them protests, some people call them riots, and there's different wording on all of it for every group of people. But the article was this thing, uh, has a protest ever changed anybody's mind, right? Uh, people walking around with signs or, or doing it in different ways now, uh, has it ever changed anybody's mind? Or does it just, you know, is it something to validate you? Like, you know, I went and did this and I stood for the cause, uh, has it ever changed anybody's mind? But you know what does change people's mind? Conversation. When you sit down and you ask another person, uh, why, why do you think this way? You know, where does this all come from? And you can figure out well, what it's like to be in their shoes. Now you can have a conversation. Now we can shape each other a little bit. We can help each other. We can sharpen each other. And it's the same way in our witnessing. And it could be that there are people here this morning who, who right now you're thinking, you know what, I, I really do believe God wants me to care for other people. And I really do believe God wants me to share my faith. And by the way, He does want that for, for all of His children. But, but maybe you're thinking, even if I started a conversation, I wouldn't know how to tell someone to be saved. And, and so I want to end this, the sermon this morning with an example of showing another person the way to salvation. And this is the last part of our message. Showing another person the way to salvation. There are many, many scriptural ways to show someone how to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, There are Old Testament passages you could use, which might be best when talking with a Jew, because Jews do not consider the New Testament to be scripture. Uh, There are passages that work well with dealing with certain cults or certain groups. But, but we said all along that witnessing is more about courage than it is about knowledge. Uh, the Spirit is the one who leads the way to a person's conversion, not you, okay? You're not in charge of saving another person. I remember when I first would go out as a teenager and talk to people in the neighborhoods about Jesus and uh, we'd have these kids with us, and they, they'd be learning for the first time, and they're 12 or 13 years old, and they're at these doors, and they'd get back on the bus, they're like, I saved three today. Yeah, I saved two. And uh, I remember the, the sponsor get up at the front of the bus, and he'd have this talk about, listen, we don't save anybody, okay? Only Jesus can do that. Uh, we can introduce people to Jesus. We can tell them who Jesus is and how to be saved but we don't save them. Uh, And if we're the one who saved them, then their salvation is not going to last. It's not going to be very good. Uh, Because there are some people who actually back then in the 80s, they would just pray a prayer so you'd leave their porch, right? Uh, And and so if you save them, it's not going to do anything. But Jesus can save them. And so I want to give you a simple example uh, of passages from the book of Romans in the Bible that you could use to introduce someone to Jesus. Maybe, 
uh, one of your kids or one of your grandkids or a neighbor uh, or a friend, you could use these to introduce someone to Jesus. And this is one of the variations of what has often been called the Romans Road to Salvation. All right, so we start in Romans 3. And uh, there's a way that you could do this uh, if you want, where you, uh, this is the way they always taught us, you take your Bible and you go first to Romans 3.10, and then right beside it, you write the next verse. Uh, You just write 3.23, so then you know that's where I got to go next. And this is if if you have a hard time remembering what the verses are, so you go, you, all you got to remember first is 310, 310, 310, on the 310 to Yuma. You guys remember that one? How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, a few, a few of you. Was that Johnny Horton? Who did 310 to Yuma? Anybody know? All right, we'll have to look it up. Apparently, there's nobody here. It's the Glen Ford Western. You guys know Glen Ford? Right? It's back in the day, the 310 to Yuma. But if you remember 310, by the way, that did make the live stream, everybody, so just so you know, we've got that one on. Uh, Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And uh, then you go to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so you have to realize that we are all sinners We aren't mistakers, we're sinners. Uh, We've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us are good enough to get to God on our own. And then you go to Romans 6, 23. Okay, so after 3, 23, you write write in your Bible there, 6, 23. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you've got to realize that there is a penalty for sin, and that penalty is called death, eternal death. Yeah, if a person's confused about what eternal death is, you might want to show them Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, to show them what the Bible calls the second death. Okay, the first death is physical and affects the body. The second death affects the soul. It is eternal separation from God. All right, so, so we're all sinners. We all deserve the penalty for sin called death. That's bad news, right? That's the worst news you can ever hear. But the best news you will ever hear is that Jesus came to this earth, born in a manger, so that he could die on a cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. And so you go back to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Okay, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You could add in Romans 5, 8 right there. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we go to Romans 10, and verse number 9. Romans 10, verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and so you accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. 
by confessing faith in Him as your Savior, because He's the only way to God. There's no work, there's no church, there's no deed that you can do to make you right with God. It is done only through Jesus. Now, I often, after I've shown a person this and, and they've prayed to accept Christ, I'll then show them Romans 5, 1, uh, Romans 8, 1, Romans 8, 38, and 39, some of the benefits of salvation, okay? So, some of the things that we get when we get saved. Now, th this is so important to know some way to show another person to Christ. And if you have to take a card in your wallet or your purse, do it. This is the most important thing you could ever share. And, and this is something we all should know. Now, next Sunday on Labor Day, Sunday, we're going to be wrapping up the Stand series with some practical applications on how we as God's children can labor in the harvest fields. Uh, but I want to close this morning with a reminder that God is constantly cultivating the ground. God's at work in hearts and lives. And would you ask the Lord to help you to be aware, to help you to notice people who are in transition, who are under tension. And then once you notice them, to have the courage to start with a hello and to start with real interest, to start with authentic compassion. And I hope it's the prayer of your heart that God will make you an effective witness of the gospel for Him. Father, would you guide us now this morning in our witness for you? Help us to be courageous to share truth. And uh, Father, there could be somebody here in this service who's never received you as Savior. And I pray right now that they would realize that we're all sinners. We all deserve eternal death. And yet Jesus came and paid our penalty on the cross. And He offers us the gift of eternal life. And we can receive that by confessing our faith in the Jesus who died on the cross for us. Help us to be bold witnesses for you now this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, don't